Listen for a word from God in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and good and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. We meet the first century Christians at the scene after the Spirit of God has descended on the people. Jesus is no longer with them in person, but the Spirit of God has descended on them. This was a unique time of the year. It was the time when Jews from all over came to celebrate three different festivals, Tabernacles, Passover, and Pentecost. Pentecost, being the last of the three festivals, was the least popular event to attend, but no less, many, many people came to the mother city of Jerusalem. Many diaspora Jews, Jews scattered all over different places outside of Israel, would spend a significant amount of funds to pilgrimage to attend this massive and unique celebratory time of the year. It was the camp meeting of the year, and no one dared miss it. Not only did the disciples of Jesus have a really unique opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, but the Spirit of God chooses to descend, to come down over the very diverse group gathered humans. Although they were Jews, they were all culturally and linguistically members of many different nations. When the Spirit descends on the people, all of a sudden, those differences that set them apart were no longer there. They could all now understand each other and the people weren't, they weren't quite sure what to do with this moment. For so long, they had learned to adjust to differences and, and the way of their, their modern world that rewarded and celebrated the separation of the community. Now they were learning that the Spirit of God had a new plan in mind for the people of God. This possibility of commonalities, of understanding each other, however, was so unfathomable that some suggested that maybe the people were drunk. Isn't that fascinating? That it's easier to think people were drunk, even to think that 
than to think that something more, even holy, could be going on, which is a, a little bit ironic considering that they had traveled to a holy and sacred festival where something like this could happen. No less, in the midst of the eye-opening message from Peter, the people feel unsteady and in need of answers. Peter and the 11 disciples of Jesus, it says, attend to the anxiety of the large gathered crowd and they answered their questions. What does this mean? And in verse 37, what should we do? Those two questions from the community of devout believers is significant. Peter stands in front of the crowd and reminds them of their why, quoting verses all the way from Joel in the Old Testament. Their why is Jesus. Their why is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though we often read these verses or this verse that Peter quotes from Joel as a doomsday prophecy, it's actually an announcement of Jesus coming to be with God's people. It's an announcement of hope. The good news of the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for, had been right there where they were in the holy city. Though, they, though he had now left, he left the Spirit for the people to continue on with his work and mission, and he leaves his imprint of the good news. For so long, the people had known their why, and now, now it was time for that why to manifest itself in and among the people. You know, I appreciate so much that Jesus teaches Peter to be practical and concise in his advice. Peter names three things that, that aren't in their nature new to this devout community. And Peter answers them, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Eugene Peterson says it like this in the Message Bible, change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus so your, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is intended for you and for your children, but also for all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our God invites. And then he urges them, God, get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. Peter is eager for the people to see just how much more there is for them to experience. Peter is talking to believers, those who are familiar with the prophecies of old. He is talking to the Jews from all of Israel and those from far away who have traveled to Jerusalem. He is talking to the church, to the churched. Though they were different culturally and linguistically, they had in common this longing to see the promise of God come into fruition. They longed for suffering and pain to end. They longed for the temple of God to be restored and for the world to be well. But up to this point, as Peter points out about the believers in Israel, they had not acted in faith or, or practiced their belief reflecting God's love and goodness because it wasn't too long ago that they had just crucified Jesus. So Peter says, repent. The word repent in the Greek, mataneo, means to change one's mind from the better or to turn around and redirect oneself towards God. 
This word isn't meant to be intimidating, but rather a reminder that there is hope and a way for new life and that all people are able to to turn towards Jesus and, and be received with open arms by Jesus. No matter what you have done, even if you are responsible for the very death of Jesus, he has room for you in his kingdom. So turn towards Jesus, Peter pleads. Then he says, be baptized. Although there were these big pools where massive group baptisms could have happened, where one could be submerged underwater, as most of us think when we think of baptism, Peter is attesting to something more. Now the people are baptized or are covered and immersed in the spirit of Jesus. There's this great example that shows the meaning of baptizal, baptism, in the text from a Greek poet and physician, Nisander, who lived about 200 BC, or Nisander. He says it like, like this. It's like a recipe for making pickles. And it's helpful because it uses both of these words. Nisander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, baptol, into boiling water and then baptized, baptizal, in the vinegar solution. He says both verbs concerned in the immersing of the vegetable in a solution. But the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, produces a permanent change. Jesus was making new life available for all at this time of Pentecost. His presence, his life, and his death was not a temporary solution, a dress rehearsal, or or even an alternative. He was the solution, the permanent, long-lasting transformation that would change the world forever. So the Spirit of Jesus comes over to transform all of those who will turn to him and let themselves be overtaken by the Spirit. This was the receiving part, a willingness, a genuine and deep vulnerability and trust in Jesus. Because to receive a person, or or to receive a person is to give them to one's truest self, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the parts we filter and we polish for the rest of the world. To receive Jesus was truly intimate. And for some of these believers, this would be too much. This would be the most difficult. For some of the people, author Willie Jennings writes, the message of Jesus and about Jesus is a problem for some because they will not have their religious sensibilities challenged. Even if that challenge is a word of good news that God, that the God who created them seeks after them in Jesus. But Jenning follows up with those who heard the message, a new social reality begins to take hold of them through three points of reference. The apostles' teaching, teaching of Jesus, communion, sharing of meals, and prayer. And as these practices become a part of the believers' lives, the people begin to settle into a sacred commonality. In this place, They shared their life stories, their life projects, their life plans, their life purpose, and they would form these new ecclesia of the Christ believers, this new church of Jesus. 
the act of sharing their, their things, their possessions, was not necessarily a new practice. The people then, like people do now, they gave regularly to noble and religious causes. However, what we see differently unfolding for the people of God now is the sharing of all possessions and properties. It was about giving oneself to each other. A powerful thing was happening in the community. The communal palate was changing. The appetite of the first century Christians was to live their lives as a reflection of the love of Jesus. Their care for one another, as scripture describes it, a side effect, like, like side effects of a, of a dietary suppressant that eventually goes away. No, it was growing appetite for the kingdom of God to be lived out here on earth as it is in heaven, a completely new lifestyle and paradigm. What I find most compelling about this story is that God continues over and over to, pers to pursue the people. This image of the early church, it's a picture of hope. At the end of chapter two, there is a description that the people visit the temple daily as a part of their life devotions. Verse 46, every day they met at the temple courts, the scripture says. The temple, friends, is where we come to readjust our vision for God's world. We come gather together in the name of Jesus to remember our why. Here we come to remember that part of God's vision is the community, those who are already believers, already in Israel, and everyone else, people scattered from all nations. God calls all people. God communes with all people. We are lucky that it's not our job to convert people or to choose who has membership in the church of Jesus. Because like the early Christians, we suffer from a spiritual and church body dysmorphia. We do not see what God sees. So we wrestle against our own body, attacking it and creating more pain and suffering. And Jesus helps us see through this chaos, comes towards us and offers us more. Does the shift in the communal practice of the early church seem a little too idealistic to you? Did the people really sell all of their things? Did the people really give up all of their possessions? Yes. We can believe that the spirit of Jesus is so compelling that people can move beyond possessions and learn to prioritize, prioritize each other. This last year has taught us something about this. We learn that part of what brings significance in life are the people that we do life with. So many of you, as Pastor Chris mentioned last week, made this your anthem. We can't wait to get back into the church. But my guess is not only because you missed the stained glass windows and the awesome pew fabric, it was because here you gathered with the people of God. Here you came to remember something greater. When you came here, actually, you forgot about the possessions that you owned and the things that you had because coming to hear the good news of Jesus filled your heart with hope. It fills all of us with hope. It readjusts our body dysmorphia to a body euphoria. 
I find the definition of euphoria really similar to some of the experiences of the early church as they gathered in community. Euphoria, says the definition, is the experience or effect of pleasure, excitement, and intense feeling of well-being and happiness. Certain natural rewards and social activities such as laughter, listening or making music, listening to or making music and dancing can induce a state of euphoria. People who experience euphoria may feel carefree, safe, and free of stress. How beautiful would it be to feel this safe and free on a daily basis? We turn to Jesus for this freedom and for the energy to fight against that which suppresses it. We turn to Jesus so that we individually come to be healed by the Spirit of God, and we can find that this natural consequence is that we start to create space for healing, wellness, and safety for others. We cannot go without mentioning what a significant week it has been. For the family of George Floyd in particular, as they heard the jury's verdict announced. What a significant time for the George Floyd family, for the black community, and for young people, and for all those who stand against racism and acts of violence. The community's vision became clear that we must act to make change happen now. We must step up together use our resources, advocate, and provide for the most vulnerable. We must defy with the common culture, the stupid culture, as Peterson says, that the world has set as a standard, and we must do better. The most radical thing that we can do is come to the temple and declare that Jesus is Lord. Lord over our finances, Lord over our possessions, Lord over our politics, Lord over our relationships, Lord over our world. There is so much that needs attending to in the world. Jesus wants to partner with us as Jesus partnered with the early church. It's not too idealistic to think that you can come to the temple, call on the name of Jesus, be covered in his spirit, and be changed, and then see change happen in the world. Because this is God's promise, and we can take Jesus at his word. And on the daily, we will see in mass numbers those being saved. And we do this over and over and over again, my friends, until Jesus comes once again when we all will be with God's people. Amen.